0: Well, it's about a half pat, a quarter after. So let me just start saying a few things about myself, and then we'll get into the topic. Uh, Tom and I were on on st- summer staff here at Mount Hermon a long time ago, so we we know each other. And that Tom's been a pastor. Uh, it's interesting to me the number of people who were went to school with me at that time, who did go on in the ministry. It was during the Jesus movement and all that kind of tumult and. Uh, A lot of people went on and did uh, great things, Uh, pastors and missionaries, and it's just uh, thinking back to people I'd known from that time and what God has done in their lives. Not everybody has hung in there, but uh, the majority of them have, and they're doing great things. I first came to Mount Hermon when I was uh, less than a year, a couple months old, (laughs) 1950. So that dates me. I was born in May. I was asking him, did you come out that summer? I mean, I was just born. Did you try to make a trip? You wait given that they had this newborn. And uh, my brother said, oh, they came out. My mom doesn't have that clear memory when it was, but my oldest brother says, yes, in fact. So he would be one who remembered that kind of uh, uh, chronology. My grandparents bought property here in 1910. and My dad used to spend summers here in Mount Hermon. Uh, and uh, my grandmother was was best friends with a couple daughters of founders here of Mount Hermon. So the founder's cabin, the, 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 the daughter uh, lived there for a long time with her husband, and next door was another daughter of a founder, uh, Dorothy Kale. And uh, actually, they were sisters who married different Gilchrist and the Kales, uh, but then ended up living next door to each other. And it's kind of cool, My last, last year or so of my, of my grandmother's life, she lived in a little cabin called Acorn, Tiny little cabin behind uh, those two uh, cabins. So I grew up in Mount Hermon, loving Mount Hermon. I worked three summers on staff, two summers uh, in the kitchen upstairs, not the current kitchen, the old uh, old Ivy dining and the old uh, uh, kitchen. And the last summer I was a counselor at Ponderosa. So it's really kind of remarkable to me that Ponderosa is now celebrating 50 years. And I was a counselor there the second year that it was open. And the first year, there's actually full time for the, for, for, the, for the summer. So we love this place. We actually live here in Mount Hermon, uh, not the family cabin. My brother owns that, got remodeled into a regular house. We live up towards Ponderosa. Last week, we had, my wife was working with a group of high schoolers from China, from house churches. 15 students who were at the high school camp at Ponderosa. And where we are, you can hear the, the, the activities going on. And about 10 o'clock, they're pretty good about turning off the loudspeaker system. But I just love what, uh, what, what Mount Herman has done and continues to do and the vision that they have. And I'm just grateful to be able to do seminars. I've been doing seminars for about 12 years now. Uh, I came in during the economic plummet when Mount Herman didn't have any money to pay seminar speakers, so it was easier to get an opening to speak. <laughs> So I get paid a little bit for doing the summer nights, but I do it basically because I love Mount Hermon and I love the topics, and uh, it's easy for me to repeat the topics week by week because it's not of preparation for myself. Speaking of Jesus, there was a book. There was a book written up by that title by Max Stiles, who was in university staff, spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East as a missionary, is now back in Colorado, I believe. I'm not really basing my talk on his book, although I read his book a long time ago, so I have to go back to what things did he say that might be similar to things I had in my talk. In thinking of speaking of Jesus, <clears throat> uh, most non-Christians have a positive view of Jesus, like I, I said up front. I think he was a good moral teacher. Have, you know, Jesus was, was a good person. Uh, but the mention of the J word, the Jesus word, gets this reaction, people So you, you see this change in their, their face, and, you know, as soon as you mention the word Jesus, you can talk about God, you know, that's all right, spirituality, that, that's definitely okay, but once you raise the word Jesus, you get this sort of this, this fear that arises, and uh, so most, most Christians are uncomfortable in speaking about Jesus. What I want to do to have a start off now is turn to someone next to you and talk amongst yourself, what makes speaking of Jesus hard? as you see it. Okay, so we'll get next to somebody uh, and uh, <clears throat> just to talk together about what, what, what makes speaking of Jesus hard. Okay, you could probably keep going on for a while, but if you could come back again. What, what were some of your thoughts? What makes speaking of Jesus hard? Uh-huh. and I've only been back into my, having been raised Irish Catholic, I was agnostic for 40 years or so, always said, oh yes, I'm a spiritual man, and um, my children, daughters kind of led me back into Christ, and so I, I like reading the Jesus freak books, have you seen those? And, I, and to many people I don't know, or my old friends and stuff, I tell them I'm a Jesus freak, because if I say I'm a Christian, what's that mean? could be Mother Teresa, it could be Jerry Falwell. I usually just get this weird look in their face with the word Christian. What's that mean, right? But when I say I'm a Jesus freak, then it nails it. It <laughs> brings me that I believe in him. Yeah, in although him. some of the younger people may not know the expression Jesus freak like we do. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, good. Other, other thoughts? What makes it hard. Yeah. Yeah, there's a book uh, I'll mention, I think, later on uh, uh, by two university staff called uh, Once I Was Lost. And the basic thesis is there's different hurdles the person goes through before crossing the hurdle of becoming a Christian. And the first one is moving from a posture of distrust to trust. So they have a general distrust of Christians, and you have to earn the right to be heard uh, so that they actually, okay, I'd like to know what you think. So it's kind of like they all know us by our fruits. Yeah, oftentimes people say, I don't like Christians, but I like you. You're an exception. (laughs) One of the good things to do is try to help them get in contact with other Christians so you're not just a a loner, an odd, nice Christian, whereas most of them are not. A lot of people have negative views of Christians and some of that we've brought on ourselves. I'll come back to that in a moment. Tom? For me, the difficulty is that I fear that I'm going to come across as pushy for, for something they don't want to be pushed about. Right, right. Uh, we don't want to be pushy. They don't want to be pushed. Uh, fear of being pushy makes us hesitant to, to, to say, yeah, I think that's a major thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was, uh, gave a seminar at an all-Germany uh, German, Easter conference. And I started off by having them get in groups of three. And I asked them, what do you think are the three largest hurdles or barriers towards the Christian faith for friends of yours? And there are about six different groups. To my amazement, they all came up with the same three. One was the problem of evil and suffering. What? The problem of evil and suffering. Why is there so much evil and suffering if God's a good God? The second one was science and faith, sometimes couched in terms of evolution, uh, but the science and faith kind of issue. And the third one was the exclusivity of the gospel. How can you claim to have the truth? And worse, if you don't have the truth, you end up in hell. So I mean, just on both counts, the exclusivity is a huge thing. And People say, I'm a, you know, how can you be so narrow-minded as to think that uh, Jesus is the way? I can come back, that's not my, my topic today, but uh, yeah, that's big. That's what, that is what we had talked about, so. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation one time with, a, had a debate with uh, an atheist uh, PhD student of philosophy uh, in Helsinki, and uh, a couple days later, he and I got together over coffee, I invited to get together, and I asked him, do you wish the Christian faith were true? he said, well, it depends on what kind of brand of Christianity you're talking about. If you're talking about the uh, liberal Lutheran, Finnish Lutheran pastors, uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, But if it's the brand of Christianity that includes hell, I want nothing to do with it. (laughs) So we actually talked about hell for about half an hour and uh, persuaded him that, well, maybe it's not so crazy after all. Uh, But that's a big, a big question. Again, these teachers, are, sometimes I do, I do a talk called What the dot 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 hell question <laughs> mark? Looking at the doctrine of hell and what the Bible says about it. and um, it's, it's a big issue. Okay, Anything else in terms of uh, what makes it hard? Here are a few things that I came up with just off the top of my head. One is not wanting to pushy you. Uh, awkwardness in raising the topic. You know, how do you raise a topic without sort of... Uh, and causing problems, fear of what others will think of us, either less intelligent or narrow-minded. And there was a grad student, in astronomy PhD student, who during his fourth year in grad school started looking seriously at the Christian faith. And I met him a couple times then. I got together with him early in his fifth year, and I could tell that he was really thinking seriously about the faith. And I said, is there, is there major, any sort of major barriers that you say between yourself and becoming a Christian? And he said, one is what people think of me. And that's no idle concern. Because I guarantee you, a PhD student in astronomy, becoming a Christian in a place like UC Santa Cruz, I guarantee you there will be colleagues and faculty when they find out he's become a Christian, will think, oh, I thought he was smarter than that. So their estimation of the person's intelligence drops quite a bit because you become a Christian. So it's not an idle worry that people will think less of me if I become a Christian. Fear of questions one cannot answer, or doesn't know how to answer. Let me just say, if you get a question that you don't have an answer to, respond by saying, that's a good question. Let me think about that, look into it, I'll get back to you on that. And the person will say, okay, well, you can go check out, look on the internet, talk to people, find something, and it gives the opportunity to start another conversation. Remember, you raised this question. I said, "Look at it." Well, I did. Would you like to know what I found? And then you can talk about it. So, actually, hard questions can sometimes be a lead into uh, further conversation. And there are good answers to most of the questions out there. Uh, there There's some that are. I was one time. I had an open Q&A. And one of the students asked, what's the question you have the hardest time responding to? <laughs> I laughed. It was open, you can ask the question you want. So I'd I come back to that if you want. But yeah, there are some hard ones out there, uh, but uh, we shouldn't be afraid. Uh, I mean, they, yes, they might ask hard questions, we don't know. But that can be motivation for us to investigate. When I was, uh, I took a year off between my sophomore and junior year at Stanford, but I was uh, there at the time. And the Stanford Christian Fellowship, the university group there, had an information table, a book table with some free literature and things people could pick up. And if they wanted to buy a book for cheap, they could do that. And occasionally, someone would come by and drop their, their favorite objection. And tip is, uh, most of the time, I always said my jaw would drop and didn't have a response. They just smugly walk away. <laughs> well, that motivated me to go, how would you respond to this question? So if it could be some motivation to look into answers, that could be very helpful because when a person becomes a Christian, it's not only motivation, they also have to believe it's true. It has to be something their mind is willing to accept. It has to be plausible for them. Another uh, problem is that are we convinced that our friends really need Jesus? I mean, as an evangelical in theory, yes, everybody needs. But when we think about our friends or our neighbors, do we really think of them as being people who need Jesus? whose life, not only eternal life, is in the balance, but their life here and now. They're missing out on what God would have for them. Do we really really see them as needing Christ? And I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. Um, uh, we get become lackadaisical and sort of, um, we, it's true for me, but is it true for other people? Is it good news for others? We really need to be convinced that it is. <clears throat> a few foundational things. One is we have to have a clear understanding of the gospel. If I were to ask you, pull out a slip of paper and write down an outline of what you think the gospel is about, key elements in the gospel, would you be able to do that? Or is say, well, let me think now. <laughs> so you really need to be able to understand what the gospel is. So a person asks you, well, if I were to become a Christian, what would that entail? And so it entails a variety. One is laying out the elements of the gospel. Do you believe these things, that Christ uh, uh, died for our sins? Now, died for our sins, that needs unpacking. He says, the billboard, Jesus died for your sins, died for our sins. For most non Christians, what in the world does that mean? How can a person 2,000 years ago being nailed on a cross have any effect on me, dying for my sins? If anything, that's not just. There's no justice in someone else dying for something that I did. I remember seeing a bumper sticker one time that said, Custer, as in Custer's Last Stand. Custer died for our sins. And I agree completely. (laughs) It was our sins against the Native American people together with Custer's own audacity and pride, thinking I can handle the Indians no matter, and he finds himself totally overwhelmed. But Custer died for our sins, but that's not what the gospel is talking about when we say Christ died for our sins. So I ask you, can I explain these things? Uh, Sometimes you get the opportunity to lay out the, the whole gospel, but don't, don't feel like you need to do that. In conversation, when you talk about a part of the gospel, uh, sometimes you get the opportunity to lay it all out. An example, there was an international student who had been attending our church for a while, and I got together with him for breakfast. And I said to him, in our church, you hear the word gospel quite a bit. Do you feel like you understand what that means? He said, well, not very well. And so if you'd like, I'd be glad to lay out sort of an outline of basic points I think are involved in the gospel. Uh, if you like, I could do that for you now. Sure. So we pulled out the paper napkin, you know, writing on the paper napkin in various notes. And point by point, I would say, well, does this make sense to you? And maybe say yes, and maybe say, oh, not really. That, that doesn't seem very clear to me. So we'll go back and spend some time on Whether I actually got all the way through isn't crucial, but at the same time, uh, I had a situation where I had the invitation to lay out the content of the gospel. And you could do that with a friend of yours who's not a Christian. And you say, you know, uh, you know, Christians talk about gospel. Is that just gibberish to you? What, what does that mean to you? If you like, and sometime, I think it's good be to say I, I could do it now for you. At some point, I'd be glad to lay out what I think is the key elements in the gospel. And the person might say, yeah, sometimes that'd be nice not right now or they might say sure so you have the invitation to lay it out and they're listening because they've, they've, they've said I want to hear it means instead of cutting you off after every sentence they give you a chance to lay out what, what it, the, the gospel is questions which people raise why did Christ have to die on the cross couldn't God just forgive us okay most people are basically good surely a merciful God wouldn't require perfection all right? Where where's this you have to be perfect? Where, where, I mean, there's truth in that. But uh, <clears throat> God surely wouldn't send anyone to hell just because they didn't profess certain beliefs, would he? I mean, after all, He's supposed to be a merciful, compassionate, understanding God. If God's all good and all powerful, he wouldn't allow so much evil and suffering. So you get those kinds of questions. And you say, I'm going to get those kinds of questions. Let me work on those. So if If you haven't worked on those and the thoughts are, well, how can I respond to those, that each of those things are worthwhile things to think about and work on. It's also important to recognize when a person becomes a Christian, three things have to come together. The gospel has to at least be plausible to them. If it's irrational or highly improbable, as much as they may be attracted to Christians, they can't become a Christian. My wife one time was working on a project, uh, English as a Second Language, she was doing a project together with a professor at the University of Michigan in ESL. And my wife had just the weekend before gone on a women's retreat and was sharing her about the women's retreat and this woman professor said, you know, sometimes I wish I could be a member of a church, but I can't because I don't believe it. So being attracted to the Christian faith doesn't mean that the, the truth issue just gets set aside. The person does have to believe it's true, but there also has to be an act of the will. What am I going to do about it? The basic, the simplest definition of a Christian is a Christian is one who's a follower of Jesus. It's not a person who checks off certain propositions. I can answer the proposition quiz, get all the right answers so therefore I'm in. No. Are you you following Christ? Do you want him to be Lord in your life? Uh, That's the crucial question. Are 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 you a follower of Jesus? And the person says, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I I do what I want, but I believe the right things. No, that doesn't quite quite do it. Jesus said there are plenty of people who say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Uh, Holy Spirit, the importance of prayer. We don't know where a person's at in a given moment. There are times when people are open and times they're not. And Times when they're open... So if you speak at that time of openness, the, the, the timing is very important. And we can't work that out ourselves. We need God's Spirit to help us to know when to speak and what to say. Plus, their reception of it isn't just what we're saying. It's what's going on in, in them. And the Holy Spirit works in the mind as well as in the heart. So sometimes I think of the Holy Spirit working through the love that we're showing for them. The Holy Spirit could also work through arguments that I give. But I know the same argument to two different people. The one person might say, "Mm, okay, that's interesting. Another person saying, I like that. That's a good answer. The person says, I like that. The Spirit is actually at work in their thoughts as well as in their their heart. And of course, when a person becomes a Christian, ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that is at work within them. Friendship and trust are, are crucial. Now, it's not true that everybody who becomes a Christian becomes a Christian through friendships. I know a woman... Who became a Christian listening to Christian radio. No contact with Christians, just listen to Christian radio, she became a Christian. You know, they go, of course, but not very many non-Christians listen to Christian radio. <laughs> and most of them really need to have contact with, with Christians. In fact, most people who become a Christian don't become Christians simply through contact with one Christian, it's through several different Christians over time that they've had contact with. And then they become a Christian. So remember, we're playing a part. God's using us a piece in a larger picture. And don't feel like we need to accomplish everything ourselves. Prior relationships are not essential. Sometimes when I get on an airplane and sit down next to the person sits next to me, and I'll I'll introduce myself, and they'll introduce themselves. Or I'll ask the question, is the city we're going to, is that your destination? And the person will say yes or no they're going on to. And I maybe ask, is it business, vacation, seeing family? And then they'll respond to that. And the, the, I, lists, I sort of I can tell by the responses whether they want to talk. If it's just a curt, short, then I don't, you know, don't, don't carry on the conversation. But if the person uh, answers in an amicable kind of way, the conversation gets going. It's started by a simple little question, but there's sensitivity to whether the person actually wanted to talk or not. Another thing about sharing our faith: it's harder to share our faith with close friends and with family than with strangers, at least I think it is. People who know us well, maybe we've had friends we haven't talked about the gospel before or for a very long time. And how do I bring it up now? Or with family members, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be put on the wrong side of a family member. Uh, so you have you live, with, live with a relationship. So it's actually oftentimes harder sharing the gospel with someone you know well. Let me just add one little thing that I think is helpful. If you know somebody and they've, say, worked together for quite a while, and they know you go to church, they know you're a Christian, you could say, I, you know that I go to church on Sundays and that I'm a Christian, but I haven't really talked to you about that or what it means to me or how I came to the faith I have. If you'd like to know a little more of my story at some point, I'd be glad to share that with you, So to apologize if you're not having said something. The person could say, okay, at some point, that'd be nice. Uh, they might say, I've got time. Go ahead. But if they say, you know, most people will say, I don't want to hear it. Uh, so they say, okay, you know, sometime that'd be nice. You can, so some other time when things are sort of calmed down and quiet, you can say, you mentioned before that at uh, some point you'd like to have me uh, hear my, my story about how I, how I came to the, the faith position that I have. Uh, if the person just keeps putting you off, you don't just keep asking, asking, asking. Uh, and you could say, I, I don't, if you don't want me to talk about it, I, that's fine by me. And the person might say, well, I'd rather you didn't. So the first time was polite saying yes. So you can be sensitive to that, but simply saying, I haven't talked about it and apologize for that. Uh, But if you'd like to know, and again, if you'd like to know, not that you have to do it right now. Art of conversation is significant. If you're a person that has a hard time carrying on conversation, you'll have a harder time speaking with Jesus. Or... If you're like a lot of men, you have an easy time talking about football or hockey or maybe even politics, but when it comes to more personal things, uh, you don't talk about that. Well, there's an art of conversation where you actually talk about things that are significant to the other person. And how does one develop the art of conversation? So I'm going to ask a question here about politics. I said up front that you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion in a polite company, but most people have enjoyable conversations about politics. So what makes for an enjoyable conversation about politics? And you'll see this carries over to talking about uh, our faith. One, you have the opportunity to say what you think. If the person doesn't give you the chance to say what you think, or doesn't pay any attention to what you think, you need to have the opportunity to say what you think. The other person shows an interest in knowing what you think. If the other person really wants to know what you think, oh, really, okay, thank you. Most people don't, don't communicate to us, I really like to know what you think. And when that happens, oh, well, thank you. I'll, I'll tell you what I think. The other person has some worthwhile thoughts. So it's not just you're regurgitating things that, that you like to talk about, but the other person has some worthwhile thoughts. The conversation is by consent. Nobody is sort of pushing it uh, on the other person. It continues only as long as both want it to. So it's important in a conversation that there be pauses. If there's a pause, the person can say, "I really need to be going." If there's no pauses, it can go on. The person wants to cut it off, it doesn't have an easy opportunity to cut it off. So a good conversation about politics goes on only as long as both people want it to go on. Next, something is learned. So you actually, the other person shared something. that Okay, that's helpful. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that's interesting. Uh, and a mutual respect and friendship grows. So even a conversation about politics can grow a friendship if they're really listening to each other and they're sharing. So rather than having it drive them farther apart, even though they may differ, one may be Republican, one a Democrat, or a different issues, Nonetheless, because they've been respectful to each other and listening to each other and asking questions about what the other person believed, uh, friendship grows. The same thing can be true talking about our faith. The friendship can grow because we're engaged in these things. So you just think about these things about talking about your faith. Am I, am I, are these things true of my conversations about the faith? Or am I sort of not very good about this one or this, this point or that point? Dialogue, not monologue. People don't want to be a spiel. And one of the greatest fears is that there's going to do, and the person's going to be caught in this monologue about the faith. A good conversation about the faith is a dialogue. Then there's levels of conversation. Small talk is, you have to get a conversation started somewhere. You know, another person, we say something that's innocuous and small talk. It's interesting when we were in Finland this last, uh, this last spring, I was in four debates in, in Finland. But I was told by the Finnish staff worker that Finns do not engage in small talk. Oh, really? They don't engage in small talk? Historically, the Finns have been dominated by other countries, by the Danes, by the Swedes, by the Russians. And as a part of sort of Finnish character and culture, they're not brash. They're they're people who are pretty quiet people. And Finns will tend to speak when they have something to say and not speak when they don't have something to say. Just culturally, it's interesting about the the Finnish people. So I said, okay, I've been told you don't have small talk, but just sort of set that phrase aside. How do you get a conversation started? How do you start it? You need to start it off somehow. So whatever it takes to get the break the ice to get the conversation started, that's what's needed. A second thing, which I think very few people actually pay attention to, is to look for a genuine interest on the part of the other person. So, for instance, if you raise sports, the the, the Giants beating the Colorado Rockies a couple of weeks ago, nineteen to one. Whoo! <laughs> what a shellacking! Uh, so, you know, it's easy to raise something like that. The person, you find out this person is really a, a San Francisco Giants fan. Well, you can ask, do you have favorite players? Or who do you really like? Or what do you think about this year's team? The Giants are sort of on a winning streak right now. Okay, what, what do you think about this, this this winning streak? Raise hopes for the, for, for the future. Uh, what, what do you like most about it? Have you been a Giants fan for a long time? Right? Oh, yeah, ever since I was a kid, uh, So if the person has a genuine interest in it, they'll talk. They love to talk about it. And letting the person talk about it and ask them questions and showing interest really is huge in terms of building a relationship. Not very many people have a genuine interest in what you think. And if you touch on something that's a genuine interest, even if it's not significant, I mean, football or baseball or whatever, I mean, it's not something that just affects your life on a deep level, but it's something they have a genuine interest in. Sometimes it would be, I love backpacking. So if I find somebody who likes backpacking and hiking and that kind of stuff, we can you know, really get going. But look for something they're genuinely interested in and show, show an interest in that. Then there's the level of values and feelings. Uh, why do you like this? Uh, what, 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 what do you like most about it? Are there things which are frustrating about it? I'll come up with some, some questions that dig a little deeper uh, in, uh, in, in getting to know someone in just, just a moment. But that can lead to deeper values, aspirations, the things that really, really matter to you. What are things longer term that you want to try to accomplish that are important to you? And of course, you get on those kinds of things, the foundations of that come in. Their worldview, the things they believe are important and why they think it's important. So the deeper you go, the easier it is to get to talking about the, the Christian faith. Again, it doesn't necessarily take a long time. You can get a conversation with someone in the seat next to you. And depending how it goes, you can be talking about the faith pretty quickly. But you just kind of have to go with the flow and see where things go. But when the conversation gets deeper, it's much easier to, to bring that in. So for instance, let's say the topic's anxiety. I say, well, I, I, I get anxious about uh, things too. And, uh, when I when I'm in that kind of state, I, I I just have to take time with God and pray. That's to help help settle me down and get, get things the right priority. The person might not respond to that, in which case you don't want to push it. But there's lots of ways in which your faith can come in in a, in, a, in a natural way with a conversation. Becky Manley Pippert, uh, Some of you may know her. She's been living in Europe for a while now, so she's not that as well known here in the states. But she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker by University Press. Very popular book on evangelism and she is a remarkable evangelist. She's actually going been one of the plenary speakers at a conference I'm going to in Germany between Christmas and, and, and New Year's. Um, and she was on staff with the University on the West Coast. We actually involved we were involved in a campus mission together so I've known her for quite a while. And she has this genuine fascination with people and it comes across. She could talk to someone, oh, wow, that's fascinating. She's not just saying, that's fascinating. She has this fascination with people. And people respond to it really warmly. Uh, And she'll ask questions investigating. And when I use this term, my wife said, investigate, sounds like you're sort of grilling the person. Well, no, that's not the idea. You're just trying to find out more about the person. It's not interrogation. (laughs) But you're you're simply investigating, trying to find out things about the person. Uh, Then you can drop things in. They give the person an opportunity to respond, but they don't have to respond. And so they are the one who pick up on this, this sort of uh, this clue you've given about something about the, the faith or something your faith. But it's, it's, it, it leads them, in many cases, to say, what do you mean by that? And I'll give some examples of that. Relate is sharing what, what you believe. Uh, so here's the investigating showing interest in them. Uh, background, origin, sibling, parents, education, interests. That's true of everybody. And just part of humanity, you ask about those kinds of things. Current situation, work, retired students, single, married, children, uh, where they live, again, what interests they have. Uh, <clears throat> you need to ask questions that go a bit deeper. So when I get together with a student, I'll ask, well, what, do you, what are you studying? And they'll give the study, of what year are you? And they'll give the year that they're in. I mean, that's sort of just introductory, superficial kinds of things, but you can get, you can get beyond that. Suppose you meet someone who's working. I have a list of questions for, for students, but let's go at the working person. So what kind of work do you do? That's the very general kind of thing. Uh, what got you interested in this? And you see, that's a deeper probing kind of question, but it's a very natural question asked. And are you happy working for this company? You know, some of the time, no, usually, you know, they give give various responses. What do you enjoy most about the work? See, these are, these are questions which you're asking deeper than just simply where do you work, what kind of work do you do? Do you find parts of it difficult? Do you work closely with others? How is that? I know that job satisfaction depends a lot on the people you're working with. And you enjoy working with those people. So do you enjoy working with the people you're working with? Uh, How's that? Do you think you'll continue doing this long term? No, I'd really like to go, you know. uh, If you were to do things over again, would you follow the same track? That's great questions. These are are significant questions. not focused on yourself. It's focused on the other person. And even though they're deeper questions... They're questions which you can quite naturally and comfortably ask. When you can always ask, when not working, what do you enjoy doing? That can lead to their activities, bicycling, or whatever they, 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 they enjoy doing. So I'll skip over the, the student ones, the little list of questions, but ask the questions that go a bit deeper. You can also ask about religious background. So uh, you can say, I'm curious, did you grow up in a family that was all religious? They're talking about where they grew up. Uh, Then in that context, I can ask, did you grow up in a family that's all religious? And they may say, no, no, not at all. Or we occasionally went to church (laughs) Easter or Sunday, but not not very much. Uh, If it was a religious background, I guess, uh, do you have a religious faith yourself? A very generic kind of question. Again, I'm not pushing. I'm just asking uh, questions, and the person then can can respond to that. If the person used to be a Christian, say, I was a Christian, but I'm not anymore. Uh, a question I love to ask, and I couch it in sort of a sort of apology. I'm curious, and you don't need to tell me if you don't want to. So sort of the caveat. Don't need to tell me if you don't want to. But what led to your change in view? Was it a book you read? Was it things you saw on the internet? Increasingly, you find lots of people who were influenced by surfing the internet and coming across atheist websites. And those are influential uh, for them. Uh, was there professors that they had? Uh, What's what, what sort of led to this change? Uh, good question for the person who says they used to be a Christian is uh, do you wish the Christian faith were true? If the person says, yeah, I do. That tells you a huge amount. I mean, that tells you the person it's not a motivational issue. The person uh, in some ways was sort of uh, regretted, feeling, like, I just can't believe it anymore. But if it were true, that'd be nice. The person says, no, I don't wish it were true. You can ask, well, why do you say that? And the person may bring up uh, things they don't like about Christians or things about Christian doctrine that they don't like, that may the doctrine of hell, whatever it may be, they could, they could talk about those, uh, the, those, those kinds of things and get in conversation. Uh, if you meet someone, say who's not a Christian, somebody's Hindu, this is a unusual kind of question, but <clears throat> I'm curious. If someone were to say to you, you're a a Hindu, just because you grew up in the faith, how would you respond? We can ask that kind of question. (laughs) A person might say, well, I embrace it simply because that's my culture. This this last year, we were in Slovakia, and we went to a dinner where about half a dozen uh, uh, Indians from India uh, were there for the dinner, one of whom was a Christian. The staff worker asked, what does your faith mean to you? And this Christian said, oh, it means being a nice person and being good and being honest. Okay. Not a very deep understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, For the the others, I said, well, you know, if you're, you're, say, Hindu, uh, and uh, how do you respond when somebody you know becomes an atheist? Oh, that doesn't happen very often. So, okay, well, suppose you get married and your wife's God their, their family God is different than the God of your family. What happens then? And they say, "Oh well, she embraces the husband's religion. Oh, okay <laughs> it was, was eye- opening to me. there's sort of this cultural thing. you follow the cultural norms of the woman, embraces the, the, the husband's God, uh, and just leave the other God behind. Uh, this, this, was, this was quite interesting to me I was asking a question about what they believed, and I was genuinely fascinated by the things that I was being told. So you can show a genuine interest in what they believe and ask, ask questions like this and get in a great conversation. And they may well come back and say, well, you're a Christian. Is that because you grew up in a Christian home? And you can respond. Well, I did grow up in a Christian home, or I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and what, what, what goes into it? <clears throat> Sometimes I'll respond by people who say, your religion is just your background, the way you grew up. Say that in the same year, there were two books which had the same basic theme. It was short autobiographical essay, essays by prominent Christian philosophers. Actually, there was one by Oxford University Press and one by University Press. The Oxford University Press had, had two Jewish contributors. So it was, for the Oxford one, it was just a, a general belief in God. <clears throat> well, the Christians who are these prominent philosophers, a majority of them did not grow up in a Christian family. It was the exception rather than the rule that these prominent Christian philosophers actually grew up in a Christian family. So here's people thinking deeply about it. You know, why is it that they would end up being a Christian, given they didn't start off that way, and they're very highly regarded philosophers? That's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> Another question: Do you think it's important for others to come to embrace the beliefs that you hold? Now, if you're talking to a Buddhist, the Buddhist might say, "Yeah, I mean, they don't have to." But if they believe Buddhism is strong enough, you know, you really gain some peace and tranquility in your life. And everybody would benefit from embracing Buddhism. So a, person, a Buddhist might say, yeah, I, I would be happy. I think it would be great for everybody to embrace Buddhism. It would be good for everybody. it good for me. Or they might not say that, but it's, just, it's, a, it's a great question to ask. Stimulate are saying things that invite a response, but the person doesn't necessarily have to respond. So when a person says to me that they grew up in a church and could never ask questions, every time they asked a question, they were told, just have faith. They said, that for me, in middle school and high school, it was like being an intellectual straitjacket. I couldn't ask any questions at all. Got to the university and I asked questions. Ah, a breath of fresh air. Finally, I'm free to think for myself. Get rid of this. So, so I respond by saying, it sounds like your experience is quite different from mine. Now, pause and see how they respond. If they're not really paying attention to what I was saying, then they might just go on and talk about something else. So they might say, how so? And I'll say, well, when I grew up, my parents were Christians, but they gave us a great deal of latitude to think and ask questions. An example, one time we had a conversation around our dinner table. I have three brothers and one sister and we were sitting around the table. And my oldest brother was asking questions about the faith. And I was looking at my dad at one on the table, my mom at the other on the table, and my mom didn't literally have her fingernails in her teeth, but I could tell she was rather nervous. Her oldest son asking these questions about the faith. <clears throat> my dad quite calmly said, as much as your mother and I want you to come to embrace the faith that we have, this is a decision you have to come to. So I wasn't being pushy, that, that, was, my, that was my environment. Uh, so it's not true for everyone. This is intellectual straightjack. And for the person who asked it, I, I, I mean, just I said, my experience is different than yours. Uh, or I could say, my background was similar to yours, but took a different turn. Stop. If they don't ask anything, OK, they're really not paying attention or don't want to listen. But if they're listening, they say, well, how so? How is it like mine, but it took a different turn? You oftentimes talk about what you did over the last the, the weekend. And as a Christian, you might say, uh, I went to church Sunday morning, as I usually do. But the sermon this last Sunday was particularly good. The pastor said some things that I, I found quite helpful. You wait and see how the person responds. The person likely will say, oh, how so, okay? You're, you're waiting for them to ask you, and then you can talk about it. But if you simply launched into talking about the sermon, the probably a person that would not appreciate that but because you stimulate stimulated, put it throughout that the person asks you and then you have the invitation to speak about it. Or suppose you're, you're talking about some topic and I may say, I recently read a good essay or book on that topic and then shut my mouth and see what happens. Oh, what book was that? Or what essay was that? Then I'm then given invitation to speak about it. See, by, get, by having received the invitation, the person is much more, much more closely listening than if I simply said what I was thinking. Uh, or I might say, I've been thinking, about that que- thinking a lot about that question. The person says, okay, what have you been thinking? The, the invitation for, for my thoughts. Or a person might say something, and I'll say, Jesus told a parable that relates to that topic. How do they respond? Which parable is that? We were in Prague speaking to an international student group at an international Baptist church. And uh, the topic of justice came up. And what constitutes justice? And I said, Jesus told a parable about justice. And he looks at me, Well, what parable is that? Can you guess what parable? There's a man who hired some workers for the day. And they got the day's wage. But halfway through the day, there's some other men showed up, and they didn't have work, so he hired them. And then with only a couple hours left in the day, there were some other people showed up, and he hired them. At the end of the day, he paid them all exactly the same amount. The student who asked me that question, he said, that's not fair. So said, well, wait a minute. Are you sure it's not fair? I mean, after all, the people who got the day's wage got exactly what they expected to get. The people who worked less, less time probably had just as much need, family to feed, that kind of thing. So they needed just as much, and he was generous with them. Is that not fair? Okay? So Jesus' calculation of fairness isn't quite what we think of fairness. We think of fairness as everybody gets the same. But no, Jesus doesn't quite think that way. And it's worthwhile to sort of change your thinking, recognizing that fairness isn't quite what you intuitively might uh, think. And then relate is sharing your own thoughts and beliefs and experiences in the Christian faith. Uh, it often find this flows from conversation, whether it's injustice, politics, current events, stress, aspirations, value of people's lives. Uh, there's lots and lots of things which which come up. Uh, the ecology, global warming. And there's some islands that basically are going to be depopulated as the oceans rise, and they'll no longer be able to, to live there. And those kind of thing uh, comes up, and you can ask person what they think about that, and what kind of gets in what kind of values they have, and uh, and you might say as a Christian, I I, th- I think we should be concerned about people like that, we should be concerned about the longer term consequences for the next generation. Uh, <clears throat> ask permission to share your thoughts. Let me give you examples of that. At uh, some point, I'd be glad to tell you more of my story, so these are just uh, some, 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 some questions that are that way. And to speak of Jesus. It's important that you share your own story. And sharing your own story, we'll probably mention Jesus will come up in the story, but it's likely not very, much very focused on Jesus. It's important for a person to see that what motivates you isn't just some values that you have, Christian values. But relationship with Jesus is important to you and that Jesus is important to you. One of the best things you could do in terms of leading a person towards the faith is get together with them and have discussion about the Gospels. Get together and look at a chapter from the Gospels looking at Jesus and simply share together what do you think is going on? Why do you think Jesus responds the way he does? What do you make of the reaction? What's happening here? I find most non-Christians actually enjoy that. If you're not sort of preaching at them, you need to be asking questions, getting them in conversation. It's easier when there's a group, but it can also be done uh, one-on-one. But in that context, people are both building a relationship with you because you're showing hospitality if you've, if you've invited them to your home. And so their attraction to you is typically growing, but their attraction typically is also growing towards Jesus. Now, not necessarily, but nonetheless, uh, by, by it's important that you speak of Jesus. Again, conversation, not monologue. Pausing, does that make sense to you? And giving the person a chance, I really need to go off and do something else. So pauses are important. Encourage a response. I'm just going to mention a couple things here rather than go through all the slides. One is that when we think of responding to the gospel, we typically think of a person saying yes to Jesus. But responding to the gospel is more than just that. There are preliminaries to that. Jesus said, the person who acts on truth that they have, more truth will be given to them. The person who doesn't act on the truth they have, they'll lose even what they have. So if you have a friend who sees something that Jesus taught and that makes sense, encourage the person to act on it. Respond. Put into practice what what you've seen. And when the person does that, that opens them up to more truth. So... Encourage them to respond to whatever they're seeing and begin to put it into practice. Another thing that is important is to ask them to respond in terms of coming to something. It might be, say, coming to some Christian activity where they actually get to know other Christians. One of the easiest ways to do that is a social event. It's easy to invite a non-Christian to come with some Christians for a social event, and they oftentimes will like that. There was a student at Santa Cruz that I met two years ago. Uh, About about two years ago, I, I had a conversation with him. He was an arch skeptic. He was quoting from Bart Ehrman about the unreliability of scripture and how do we know what the text actually said. And we talked for about 20, 25 minutes about these kinds of issues and questions. To my amazement, about a year after that, I was visiting a church that my wife and I normally don't attend. Uh, because there was a friend of ours who had attended that church who was giving a brief report about his mission work. So we went to the church to to meet him, be with him. And there was a baptism that day. And one of the people being baptized was this student who was a skeptic. Whoa, (laughs) a lot has happened since I talked to that person. Now he's become a Christian. (laughs) One of the things that affected him was during this whole time he was regularly attending in the university group. And asked why are you attend the university group I like these people. I like their values. I like what they're about. So he was being drawn towards Christians, and that was motivation for him to think more seriously about Jesus and his asking questions was actually trying to figure out, can I believe this?" And at some point he said, "Yes I can." and he acted on that. so encourage person to get involved in uh, other things uh, around you. but it's also important to uh, try to find out. Are they open to becoming a Christian? One mistake, the thing Christians oftentimes make is they talk about the faith, talk about the faith, talk about the faith, but never find out, are you ready to become a Christian? Are you close to becoming a Christian? It just goes on, but the person is never encouraged to actually come to a decision. There was a person that I met in Ann Arbor, we were at the University of Michigan, who we got in touch through a friend of his who'd gone to undergraduate university with him, She'd gone to Northwestern for a master's program, and he'd come to Michigan in the music program. And she gave me a phone call and said, I know you're working with grad students at Michigan. I have a friend who I don't think is a Christian. At one point, he prayed to receive Christ, but I don't think he's a Christian. Could you look him up? So I said, sure. So I gave him a phone call, explained who I, who I was and why, why I was contacting him, and said, if you'd like to, I'd be glad to treat you to breakfast. At that point, he could have said, thanks, but no Thanks. Fair chance he would say that. He said, okay. So we got together, and uh, after having some sort of small talks uh, at the beginning of, of breakfast, I said you're probably expecting me to ask this, so I'll ask at this point. Where do you see yourself in relationship with the Christian faith? And he said, I neither believe nor disbelieve. Agnostic, sort of in, in between. Um, he actually had actually grown up Catholic, but uh, really was uh, in an intellectual sort of uh, uh, no man's uh, land. Well, we had this great friendship to develop. I think I was the first person that thought like him. I was the first Christian who was a skeptic who actually thought in sort of his line. And we just, sometimes you meet somebody and you resonate. Well, that's how it was between the two of us. So we started getting together, getting together weekly for breakfast. And then it became less frequent than that. Initially, we talked quite a bit about reasons to believe and you know, those, those kinds of issues. But we've been friends for about six months, and sometimes we get together and ask, how, how are things in the music program? The music program is, is very high-powered, and uh, something like music, there's a great deal of uh, pressure. Will I perform? Will I meet the standards of the other people around me? Because they are really very, very good people all around. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about those kinds of pressures. Uh, <clears throat> so I asked him, you know, I haven't talked, it was about six months into our friendship, and I said, I haven't talked to you for a while about where you are in relationship to the Christian faith. But do you see yourself moving towards the faith? And he said, no, not really. I have doubts that just I don't see how I can resolve the doubts and they're just there. And growing up Catholic, my priest told me faith is something you either have or you don't have. And I just don't seem to have it. Right. So I said, well, there's a there's a parable that I'd like to share with you that I think addresses the point you're raising. And um, um, if you've got time, I'd be glad to, to, to share that with you and give a, give a response. So he had about a half hour before he had to head off to a meeting with a professor. We paid for a bill and went for a walk, and it was a late February day, actually warm. You get these fluctuations. It was a fairly nice day for, for Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the parable basically was a parable that talked about the will to believe, and give me an example of where you can actually, with doubts on one side or the other, you can choose to say, okay, I'm going to go with this. I don't know. I still have these doubts, but I'm going to go with it. And he said at the end of this walk, I probably should. What? <laughs> you probably should. So I said, let me let me bring by a couple of booklets for you to look at. So I went by his apartment. One was uh, called The Brink of Decision, which was an university press booklet that basically talked about what's involved in becoming a Christian, raising questions, and then becoming a Christian the other one was just uh, some brief devotional first mornings with God the next week was spring break so I didn't see him till after we got back we got back and it turns out that I would left it on the wrong door he was in the apartment above but I would left an envelope with his name written on it and he was going, passing by the door he saw the envelope and he caught his name on it so I actually did get it and I said well what'd you think and his response was nice try nice try, that's not what I want to hear I want to hear yes I've decided to follow Jesus I mean that's what I really was was, was hoping for so we we went on and talked about a variety of things Uh, uh, at the end of that year he was graduating and I figured this was probably the last chance I'd see him before he graduated and then he was going to take a, a high school band director position in Maryland and I was going to say look if there's not any sort of major hurdle or barrier just do it you know enough, if you see enough to be able to act on it, just trust Jesus. Well, I didn't get to actually ask him that or put, uh, telling him that. He said that he'd gone to, to mass, either that Sunday or the Sunday before. And he said, the priest was reading from the gospels and it seemed to me that Jesus was speaking to me and I've decided to follow him. Now what happened there? It was not a dramatic emotional experience. It wasn't something where, oh, I couldn't possibly come from myself. What was going on there was, I think, he, up to that point, had been, well, maybe yes, maybe no, sort of intellectual, could be this, could be that. But what he needed was a sense that God was actually reaching out to him. And God did that for him. Sometimes people ask me, you know, if I ask God to show himself to me, will he do so? So what, what are you looking for? If you're looking for something that is clearly miraculous, that couldn't possibly happen through natural means, God could do that, but I don't think he will. In fact, if that's what you need, I'm not sure you're all that close to becoming a Christian. What I can tell you is if you, what you want is the, to God show, to show himself to you in some simple way, something that is meaningful to you personally, I think God will honor that. Um, so we would had all these philosophical conversations and they led into and they were important for him. But ultimately, the Spirit had to be at work in his life, and simply hearing a reading from the Gospels by the priests in the Catholic Church that he was attending, he felt that God was speaking to him. And that's just a lesson to me that God works in simple ways, and we need to trust him and let uh, our friendships grow and conversations develop as they will. Okay, we're out of time. Well, I want to have a couple minutes, but let me before for you a couple questions. There's a clipboard in the back. If you put your name and your email address, I'll send you the PowerPoint. Uh, if you don't want to get anything else, say PowerPoint only. I am working on a couple of writing projects. Uh, uh, so one uh, is sort of a science and faith project. Another one is on the cost of discipleship. The, the passage that I just caught the last of it from uh, the man who uh, asked, "Why good good teacher? And why do you call me good?" And one one thing you lack. So the the the, the, the Good, parable of good samaritan coming after that so that kind of question what does one deal with so if you like those you just uh the, but if you only want the powerpoint to simply mark powerpoint only and i'll just send that to you the other things over there is a business card and a report from our time in europe we go to europe every spring by invitation from the christian student movements there so you're welcome to pick up one of those okay questions Maybe one one two questions yes all of us that don't have the intellectual opportunities that you do, uh, we always carry this track by Billy Graham called Steps to Peace with God, and that opens up all kinds of conversations in this troubled world. It's a wonderful track, and it, it can immediately open up a conversation with somebody that you've never met before. Yeah, you, tracks can be very helpful, but don't let it be a replacement for conversation. No, no, I don't <laughs> the exactly. person is, a I mean, I know people who sometimes get a track. And they become a Christian from that. So God can't work through it. Yeah, right, right. Maybe one last question before we head off to lunch. If you come back Friday, you can, if you have some question that you'd like to, I mean, I raised some issues earlier on. If you would like, well, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I'd be glad to talk with you more about it. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that your word is true. And that your scripture is reliable. Lord, thank you for reaching out to us, giving yourself for us and to us. Lord, uh, we confess that we oftentimes feel uncomfortable in speaking of you to our friends. But Lord, help us to show a genuine interest to them and show them love. And Lord, uh, uh, may your spirit help us to speak wisely and to uh, talk about you in the right context. Lord, we recognize that your spirit needs to be at work in anyone's life coming to you. And Lord, I ask that you would be at work in the people here and their friendships and that they would be listening to you and praying to you and seeking guidance for you to how they, how they speak with their friends and for response. Thank you, Lord, that it's not us, but you at work. Amen.